0: After nearly two decades in the state assembly, southern tier Republican Joseph Giglio announced in February that this legislative session would be his last, deciding not to run for re election. Before he officially adjourns his assembly career, though, we're checking in for our Capitol Press Room exit interview. Thanks for making the time, assembly member.
1: Well, you're welcome, Ted.
0: To- So why was now the right time to walk away from the assembly?
1: Well, you know, it's a very difficult decision uh, to make it. Is it the right time? I'm not totally positive. But it was, in my case, I had been here for a long time. I have experienced a lot. My decision was founded on the fact that after so many years of driving back and forth from Albany, from where I live, which is the second longest trip to Assemblyman Goodell's, Mm -hmm. And, you know, where my family is at this point in our lives, and I kind of hope there's a next chapter to my career, and I'm getting old, so I decided this was the best time to call it a ballgame. We've done a lot, so I'm proud of our records. But, again, it was very simple. Family and distance and time in the, in the position. You know, a, t- a train leaves the station every 15 minutes. Well, this was my stop.
0: Well, had there been previous years when the petitioning is about to begin and you've said, you know what, I, I've just had it. But then as you think about that decision and you sit with it, you ultimately decided, okay, I'll do another two-year tour.
1: Right. Basically, since I got this job, my kids <laughs> were little. Um, and so every two years, we sat at the kitchen table with my wife and my children and said if this was affecting our family life and or anything else that I wouldn't come back but for every two-year cycle my family voted to send me back Uh, so that's why I was still here Uh, this year again same conversation where our lives are at this point uh, are a lot different my children are all grown now and stuff like that so the decision was a little bit different and they said dad you need a time to take a rest and that's part of what we did
0: Well, we're winding back nearly 20 years now. What made you run for the assembly in the first place when a a special election popped up?
1: Well, it was, I had been the deputy inspector general in the Western region for a long time then. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, we. Our job was, again, to uh, police uh, our agencies and those who do business with the state of New York. So I had a lot of education in the, almost each department within the state government because when you do investigate them, you have to learn how they work so you can find out where the weaknesses, where the systemic failures are, if it's a bribery case or, or anything else. So that's what I did. So after being there for a while and seeing what was going on, I thought maybe I could bring that knowledge here to the Assembly and, uh, and how people you know write the laws that affect everybody every day and look for the soft spots and knowing how the government works is a lot easier to understand when you write a law how it's going to affect the rest of the government and the you know the executive branch and the public so that was that was my main motivation
0: well, at that time in 2005, this is uh, around the end of the third term of George Pataki and Elliot Spitzer would be elected the coming year. So were you already sort of looking for a new landing spot because there was going to be a change in administrations?
1: No, at that point, the inspector general had asked me if uh, if I would, you know, when I said I was going to do this, that, you know, if I would reconsider and stay yeah. and I, I decided that uh, I didn't. You know, I, I wanted to try this. I thought it was the right time in my career to try something a little bit different than what I was doing and for the reasons I stated. So you know, the Pataki decision really didn't have any part of mine.
0: Well, you mentioned the work you were doing at the time in the inspector general's office. And before that, you'd also spent time with uh, the state attorney general's office serving as a special assistant. So how did, have you utilized that background in your 19 years here in the Assembly?
1: Well, basically, especially with the criminal justice issues, which is some of the stuff that I specialized within my own conference, um, I brought the knowledge of how things actually work mm-hmm. to our conference and explained how to do it. And, and those were the things that helped me knowing how government works. How many times do we have a bill that comes up that doesn't say, well, how are we going to enforce it? Where are we going to spend the money to enforce it? You know, what's the feasibility of making it work? I mean, we have bills like that all the time. And if you listen to the sometimes of the debate, you know, they'll say, well, we'll wait for the Department of Labor to decide how we're going to do that or DEC. Well, if you don't give them the tools within the bill itself to get there, I mean, you're you're putting them behind the eight ball before we even start. So if we're going to pass a law, um, we should be ready to. To pass it in full, so that we know exactly how it's going to work, and um, that that was that was my biggest asset.
0: Well, sticking with your background in the Inspector General's office, you have now seen. A number of inspector generals come through uh, Albany, as we've seen Governors Spitzer, Patterson, Cuomo, and, and now Hochul. And the current inspector general, Lucy Lying, really tries to set herself up as this independent voice who's not necessarily beholden to the governor, whereas some of the past inspector generals under Cuomo really had a reputation for uh, basically doing his bidding and maybe uh, not necessarily looking into his own backyard. How do you think about the evolution of this position? Do you feel like the current inspector general is more autonomous? Do you feel like there's any sort of difference in the past 20 years?
1: Well, when I worked uh, for the former governor, Pataki, uh, there, he never interfered mm-hmm. in what we did in the IG's office because we, if we found the corruption or the problems first, uh, that was part of the deal for the governor because that was what he sent us to do. Uh, commenting on the rest of them, I really didn't know many of them at all, uh, but I do know what we expected from the I.G.'s office, and we delivered. Uh, but the other part is one of the first bills that I submitted here was to combine a whole bunch of different investigative agencies into one one big agency that was uh, that would do all the corruption work in education and. In, in our own legislature and all that kind of stuff. And that was with a five-year bill uh, that was a bill that would create uh, a five-year term for whoever they would have appointed to be the executive director of that. And then everybody that worked with them would have had, even though it would have been management confidential, would have had five years uh, to do it. And then they would have been totally an independent agency. They would have had a board over them, but they would be totally independent. And which you have seen the the iterations of almost that same idea uh, with – with Jacob and what's followed him, that's not what we had in mind. We had in mind a totally independent agency with an independent head that had a term. Current IG serves at the pleasure of the governor. So depending on who the governor is, there are different pressures. And under the former governor, there appeared to be a lot more pressure than normal. So the idea was to have a completely independent body and with the right kind of board appointed to, to police that body and get, get the work done. And then we could have done everybody. Education needs one. Uh, we had put, put bills in for that. Obviously, the legislature, uh, we always need somebody. So what you needed was an independent body to make sure that corruption didn't exist uh, as much as it does.
0: Well, before we move on, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. We're speaking with Assemblymember Joseph Giglio, a Southern-tier Republican who announced earlier this year that he will not be seeking re-election in the fall after nearly 20 years in the chamber. So back in 2011, you were appointed to then-Governor Andrew Cuomo's new uh, Medicaid redesign team, which had a big mandate to overhaul both the delivery of care, as also reducing the cost of the program. What do you see as the legacy of that effort?
1: Initially- that was a very good, good task force. And we broke down the silos uh, that were up between the different parts of the medical profession so that they would be able to talk to each other and start actually working together. Uh, We did that. He added Medicaid fraud in there too at the end of that. So that first redesign team, I thought was very effective and changed the way we did business. Uh, Since then, you see almost, I wouldn't call it a regression, but you don't see us moving forward like we were. And that's a troublesome thing because, as you can see, with the Medicaid costs going on and the governor taking money from the counties, therefore, because the costs keep going up, that becomes a big problem for the locals, and that becomes a problem for the property taxpayers. And that's what I have to be concerned about. The state doesn't have a property tax, but... The, the rest of the counties do. And if you control so much part of their budget with those kind of dollars, you had to stop the stem because they were just going up. And that was part of what the first team did. But since then, I can see, again, a little bit of a regression where the monies that were coming in are now being taken away from the counties. And they're going to have to find a the cost somehow. And the only place they can go is a property tax or sales tax.
0: So given the way the Democratic majority in the Assembly wields power, which is to say with an iron fist, what does it mean to be an effective member of the minority?
1: Well, I think, I think it means to be effective is to, again, know what you're talking about, understand the bills, have a healthy debate about them and stuff like that, and point out where their problems are. Constitutionally we do that uh, a lot. And even though sometimes they force things through, they're not as bad as they could have been. Uh, you know, so that's that's where we find our effectiveness pointing out what's you know, where these things are so bad. And at some point, I believe that the majorities don't like to, to get that much bad press if we're out there saying what's wrong with it. If you don't have a, ma- a minority like ours, especially in the assembly, uh, who's going to call them to stand up and explain what the heck they're doing and why? And um, so they have to. And then when those things don't work. We can go back to those debates and those things that we said, and say, "Look, we told you this. We told you that was unconstitutional." And so, the debates that we do and the things we do on a daily basis uh, are important. The second part is we work well. Well, I've worked well with the other side of the aisle on the committees that I've been on and stuff like that, and that's very helpful. When I was on code with uh, with Joe Lenthal, uh, he he would listen, and 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 a lot of the a lot of the uh, the chairmen of the committees do listen when we point out what the problems are in that phase and we have worked together for better legislation uh, how much lately i can't really tell you because it doesn't seem to be as much mm-hmm. as it used to be uh the majorities are a little bit overwhelming now and so that becomes a problem and you know,
0: also was you think back on your nearly 20 year career now what stands out to you in terms of your proudest accomplishments bills that you've gotten passed or, or bills that you've been able to influence that were maybe advanced by majority members here at the Capitol?
1: We'll start with uh, some of the things I did. Our conference sent us out again on Medicaid fraud and stuff like that. and We, we came forward and those ideas were co-opted. We did a, a domestic violence study. And that was very important to me. And a lot of the bills we proposed there have now become law and we're still working on that. Did a, did a heroin and opioid study back at the height of that, and now the, that problem is secular coming back with fentanyl. But the bottom line is a lot of the bills we put in there and, and brought forward were eventually adopted by the majorities. Um, you know, I use heroin as an example. As, you know, The fact of how long they stayed in the hospital and when, when we could get them into rehab and stuff like that. And when we stopped doctor shopping uh, you know, with the opioid problem, those were all bills that you know a lot of them originated on our side of the aisle. And um, those, were the, those are the things you can go back to. See, here in Albany, you're in a bubble. And everything that happens is supposed to be. But when you're back in your own district, mm-hmm. you know, constituent service, is what makes us run and makes us run hard. And the people that we help along the way with even licensure issues or other issues when they can't get through the bureaucracy of the executive branch, those are the kind of things that we do every day. And, you know, we have a wooden poster up in my office that says, do something good every day, and that's what we do. Uh, One of my proudest things is back when Salamanca and some other schools within the, because I also represent the Seneca Nation, uh, the majority of it, in Salamanca's on the reservation, Uh, we found them impact aid from the federal government uh, that's pretty much helped keep that school district afloat way back when, and they're still getting it. And then that impact aid... That came from us to the Salamanca Lamanca Central, then was used by Lakeshore and uh, a few other schools, Gowanda, where I'm from, a few other schools within the, uh, within the Seneca Nation to help pay for education. And that saved taxpayers a bunch of money and got more money into the school districts than there was there before. Those are the kinds of things that you do. They're not here. They're not out on the floor of this legislature. But those are the kind of work we're supposed to do every day. You know, and so that's that's what I'm most proud of, stuff like that.
0: What about the other end of the spectrum? Are there any decisions or votes that uh, if you got a chance to do them again you might approach differently?
1: You know, I that that's a very good question because I ask myself that sometimes, especially on some of the more controversial stuff. But with the end I, I come back to this with the information I had at the time and not being able to look at it at a lens, not being Monday Mayor quarterbacking at the time I made those votes, I felt that was the right thing to do, and um, I and you know, and I could have been proven wrong over those years, um, and that's that's fun. I said that that happens in this business because you only got so much information when you're pushing your button, so to speak, on that floor, and um, you have to go with what you've got. And sometimes history proves us wrong, and uh, sometimes it proves us right.
0: Well, finally, what do you think is the significance of the assembly minority losing the institutional knowledge that you and Assemblymember Goodell brought to the chamber? And for context, Assemblymember Goodell is also choosing not to run for re-election this year.
1: Right, right. And we're neighbors. He's the 150th. I'm the 148th. -hmm. I used to have part of his district. But the, the bottom line is... There will always be somebody to replace us. There might be a blip here and there, but at some point, we have a really good conference. We have some really smart young members of this conference. I'm really convinced that they'll, they'll do fine. Plus, we told them if they need us, they can call us.
0: Well, we've been speaking with Assemblymember Joe Giglio. He is a Southern-tier Republican who has opted not to run for re-election after serving nearly two decades in the Assembly. Assemblymember, thank you so much for visiting us. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided
0: by New York State United Teachers, a statewide union of nearly 700,000 professionals in education and healthcare.